Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to worship together. And as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us in new ways. I ask that you would speak through me, Lord, and that you would show each one of us what it means to be made in your image. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in uh, Kenya and Nigeria, so I think it's probably, I have to make the customary joke of preaching until people fall asleep, or at least for an hour minimum, but it's not going to be the case. I think the clock doesn't work, um, just in case you feel like time is standing still. Um, The clock doesn't work, but we won't be too long. Um, I don't think there are too many kids. I don't know if there are any kids. Um, The younger kids, if they want, they can go downstairs. If there's any older kids, 7 to 13s, or, you know, Josh has gone off to Kruenstad, but if there's any other big kids, uh, I did prepare a handout um, for kids, um, which will just help following along. If any kids wander in and want that, um, Kendra will have it and can hand it out to them. Or Paul, you can take it home for your kids. Okay. Or if you, if you just want to have it, um, you can. Uh, just get it from Kendra. Now, yeah, if you want it, you can. Just raise your hand and Kendra will bring it around. Complete with a pencil. All right, well, if you were here towards the end of last year, then hopefully you'll remember that we had the Look Up series, different people speaking to us about God's character and goodness. Um, and we saw that God, that God designed us for love and joy and peace, and that through his spirit, he gives us a great hope. And I thought it was really uh, great the way that Nathan described it at our last gathering, when he said, if we look back over scripture, we can see the beauty of what God has done. And when we look up at God, we're filled with faith that enables us to look forward and live each day for him. And so that's where I want us to start this year together. Um, We're going to look back over scripture, and we're going to see that each one of us bears the image of God. And we're going to look up at God and see that he's a just God. And then we're going to look forward a little bit into the year to think about ways that each one of us can reflect God's justice to the world around us this year as individuals and as a community. Uh, But to get us going, uh, I want us to watch a short video clip, and I want us to consider one question which is raised in the clip, uh, and that is, is justice worth it? A lot of people see justice as the most futile thing you can do with your life. Give your life completely to business and you see the money piling up. Be a health nut, eat right, go to the gym, and your muscles will grow and your body will look good and you'll see results. But when it comes to justice, it seems like you just can't get ahead. You patch up one hole and something else rips open. You bring peace to one region and war breaks out in another. You rebuild after an earthquake and a tsunami hits. And you work and you work and you work and there's never any profit. There's no bank where you can store a surplus amount of justice in. Stability is never permanent. Something always tips and people always ask, is it even worth it? And that question though understandable, it's, I mean, quite frankly, it's ridiculous. 
And it rarely comes from those who are actually tired from pursuing justice and not just tired of the idea. It rarely comes from people who've labored for years and have good reason to ask it. And you know why they never ask? Those type of people become friends with those who suffer. Family even. Because it's one thing to wonder if someone else's freedom is worth fighting for. But when you begin to identify with that someone else, commune with them, that's when the question is no longer worth asking. That's when it becomes offensive even. What do you mean, is it worth my time? That doesn't even deserve an answer. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care how little progress is made. You never stop fighting for your own. Never stop fighting for your own, he said. And so I think as we look through scripture this morning, I hope that we will see a God who never stops fighting for us. A God who loves us with abundant grace and mercy. And I hope that will inspire us to commit our lives this year to sharing his love with other people around us. And as we dive into this idea of bearing the image of a just God, uh, I do want to give a disclaimer that probably at the end of the message, I'll leave you with more questions than answers. But that's intentional because what I want us to do throughout this year and indeed going forward is for us as a church community and, and for individuals to begin to question and to seek God and to ask him what he wants us to do for justice in our community, and what does it mean to bear his image? And so we need to enter this lifelong posture of seeking God and questioning how he wants us to relate to the world around us. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we get started. If you're taking notes, there's the title, Bearing the Image of a Just God, and uh, we have three main points. It's, it's going to be a quick survey of justice in the Old Testament, a quick survey of justice in the New Testament, and finally, if we see that justice matters, then we'll ask ourselves, what must we do? Um, so yes, that's where we will go. We're going to start on page one of the Bible, uh, and we're not going to go all the way through to the end. So, But page one of the Bible tells us the story of creation, and we see God saying that the things that he made are good, indeed very good. And I want us to focus for a minute on two verses towards the end of Genesis 1 there. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So you can turn with me. Uh, it's also up there on the screen. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right there from the beginning, you see that people are set apart. People are different than the rest of creation because we are made in the image of God. And we're given our own creative abilities. We're given the freedom to think, the freedom to choose. And, of course, if you read on, 
not too far, you'll see that that very same freedom is abused and misused when sin enters the world and people choose their own ways over God's. But it's the idea of being created in the image of God that I want to dwell on for a little bit because that is the basis for the rest of Scripture's focus on justice. So this idea of being created in the image of God or being image bearers of God means that all people are created equally before God. And so we all have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter what. You might have heard of the term uh, imago Dei, a Latin term, which translated literally into English just means the image of God. So it's this concept that we are created to reflect his image to the world around us. And a way that I have heard it described, which I thought was helpful, was having a, a um, angled mirror. So you know when you look in the mirror, you see yourself. But with an angled mirror, we're reflecting the image of God to the world around us. So we're not necessarily reflecting ourselves. But then if our purpose is to reflect the image of God, as Scripture says, we're created in his image, then I think it begs the question, who is God? And what exactly are we meant to reflect? And so I think we have a responsibility as being created in his image to know who he is and to know what it is that we are supposed to reflect to the world around us, to make sure that we're doing that accurately. And fortunately, he reveals himself to us in scripture, and so that's why I thought we'll just have a bit of a a survey of the Old Testament and the New Testament and see how God reveals himself in his character quite clearly. Um, So there will be jumping through a bit of of different verses, and most of them should be up on the screen here. Um, Sorry, I'm just not used to having things laid out here, so bear with me. Bear with. Okay, if I'm not doing great, you can let me know. Um, Okay, you can let me know tomorrow. Uh, I just want to turn to Psalm 146 and verse 7 to 9. You'll see it up on the screen there says, the Lord gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And the Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the fatherless and for the widows. But he frustrates the plans of the wicked. So we see here there are two key words which we're going to look at, that reveal an important part of God's character. And the first one is the word there in verse 7, justice. And so this word is translated from the Hebrew word mishpat. Um, And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, um, but, you know, Google can teach you a lot of things. So if you Google mishpat, you'll see that it has two meanings, one having to do with retribution and one having to do with restoration. So on the one hand, it's paying the consequences for your actions, but on the other hand, it's also reaching out to people who are vulnerable to injustice and doing what you can to restore them. And this word, mishpat, translated to justice, appears close to 400 times throughout the Old Testament. So I think it shows that it's a bit of an important theme. And the second word there towards the end is translated as righteousness, And this comes from the Hebrew word tzedakah. And this word tzedakah has to do with right relationships between people. 
with people being treated with the dignity that they deserve because they're created in the image of God. And so these two words, mishpat and tzedakah, justice and righteousness, appear together over 35 times in the Old Testament. So again, it's a recurring theme. It's not something that we're just lifting out of one verse and saying, guys, I think this is important. The Lord over generations through many different people is coming back to this theme. In Psalm 33, verse 5, the psalmist writes, The Lord loves Sedekah and Mishpat. He loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of his steadfast love. And the word there that's translated as steadfast love is another Hebrew word, um, which is chesed. And this means the loyal love and mercy and righteousness and kindness of God. And so these three words form a trifecta of God's character that I think we are meant to reflect as his image bearers. We bear the image of a God who restores the vulnerable, a God who writes relationships, and a God who never stops loving us with his grace and mercy. And it's that character of God at work in us that I believe should motivate us to love the world in the very same way. Micah 6, verse 8, the prophet writes, The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do justice, or mishpat, to love mercy, or chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. So if we're starting the new year, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. We're not quite sure what to do, where we're going to go. Some things are not a mystery in Scripture. Indeed, there are a lot of things that are, David says, too great for me to comprehend. But there are some things that are simple and straightforward. The Lord has told us what is good and what he wants us to do. He's told us how he wants us to live. And he's shown us that love that he wants us to share with the world around us. So for the sake of time, I mean, we don't have time to go through all the laws and the cultural dynamics and everything that God established throughout the Old Testament with his people. But we have spoken some about the, the promise-making, the promise-keeping God, the various covenants of God that he established with Abraham and with Moses and with David. Um, and so I just want to look very briefly into Deuteronomy, and I think there Moses sort of sums up what is one of the purposes of God's laws that he established with them. And so in Deuteronomy 4, verse 6 to 8, um, Moses says to the people, Obey the decrees and regulations of the Lord completely, and then you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation? For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as the body of instructions that I'm giving you today? So these chunks of the Old Testament that we sometimes get bogged down in if we try to read the Bible and we think they're boring and monotonous sometimes from Exodus through to Deuteronomy, these parts of God's word are actually very alive with his love. So he's established these certain specific laws that demand justice and they demand equity and they show how to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And God established these laws, Moses says, to create a culture uh, that would reveal God's glory and character to the world around Israel as they champion justice for the powerless and for the vulnerable. And so suddenly these laws take on a new meaning, and we'll see later how Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Uh, but this is a way for God's people to reveal his glory to the world around them through their actions and through the way that they treat one another. And just in closing, in the, in the Old Testament section, um, I just want to dwell on Jeremiah 29, verse 7, quickly, where God told his people to work for the shalom of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, and for its welfare it will determine your welfare. So this is a fourth Hebrew word, shalom. Um, and shalom means a state of peace or prosperity, a place where everything or a state where everything is in right relationship. We know, of course, from the biblical narrative and from our own lives uh, that sin breaks down our relationship with God and that shalom is lost. But then this is the good news of the gospel where Jesus comes in to restore us and complete the greatest work of justice of all time. And so let's turn our attention from the Old Testament to the New Testament also briefly. Um, but I hope that in all of this that you'll be inspired to question and to read the Word of God more going into this year because we can't do justice even with the great preaching that happens here every week and the great work that Paul and the other elders and so many other people are putting in. We're just scratching the surface. So I want us to be inspired as individuals to seek God and His Word and His families and as a community. In the Old Testament, through the laws and through the different words, we see that God identified with the poor and the broken people through his word, through his law. But the New Testament tells us in John 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So now, instead of identifying in word, we see through the incarnation, the life and death of Jesus, that God begins to identify with people through his actions. And Jesus starts to embody these things that were spoken about for so many years. God took action against Israel's injustice by sending Jesus to die on the cross on behalf of the guilty, and he rose from the dead and offered his life for the guilty so that we, each one of us, might be declared righteous before God. And that is the ultimate work of justice. Unless we think it's something that we've done on our own to earn this, the Apostle Paul reminded us in Ephesians, that God saved us by his grace when we believed, and we can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God, he said. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. So justice won't save us, but the justice that God has done for us in restoring us and saving us through Jesus' death on the cross should be an inspiration for us to extend his loving grace to the world around us. And when we read the New Testament, we find out that Jesus embodied that concern for justice. We see that he loved and spent time with all sorts of marginalized and vulnerable people. And he clearly treated all people with dignity and respect. He quoted the Old Testament often. In fact, he's, he said, as I alluded to earlier, he said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So these are the same parts of Scripture 
that we saw a little while ago that reveal God's heart for justice so clearly. And he, he lived this out with his disciples on a daily basis and inspired them to carry this on. So I'm going to ask Kendra to come up and read for us from Matthew 25. It's a little bit of a long passage, but I think it gives us a glimpse of Jesus' teaching on justice, and it will give us a bit of an insight into his mind towards justice. All right, starting in verse 31 of chapter 25 in Matthew. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Thank you. So we see here that Jesus reveals that our attitudes and actions towards the poor, towards doing justice, reflect and reveal our attitude towards God and what he's done for us through Christ Jesus. So the character of God at work within us, I believe, should push us to love others because God first loved us. The theologian Jonathan Edwards said, when you say, I can't help anyone, you usually mean, I can't help anyone without burdening myself and cutting into how I live my life. And I found that powerful and convicting, but this is not the type of love that the gospel calls us to, and this is not the type of love that Jesus showed to us. I just keep on, as I've been preparing, I keep on thinking about the, the reckless love song and the overwhelming never-ending reckless love of God. He leaves the 99 to chase the one and to restore us. And so that should inspire us. And if you check out the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, we're not going to read it um, for the sake of time. But if you, if you look there, you'll see that Jesus calls us to love those in need. 
And he calls us to do that even when it's uncomfortable, even when it requires risk and inconvenience, and even when it requires great sacrifice. But after all, no greater sacrifice has been made than that which Christ made on the cross for us. So I hope with this quick run through scripture, fly by the Old Testament, fly by the New Testament, um, it's clear. Yes, justice matters to God. It's not an optional, it's not an optional add-on. Justice is the very image of God. And that is the image that we are recalled, that we are called to reflect to the world around us as his image bearers. So if justice matters, then let's wrap up by thinking about what we can do. What can you do? What can I do? We've seen that to do justice means to live in a way that builds strong community where all human beings can flourish. To repair the shalom that God originally intended before our sin broke it down. So that state of of where everything was good as he saw in creation. And Tim Keller in his excellent book, uh, Generous Justice, shout out to the book club, uh, Robin, thanks for organizing that. Um, But in, in the book, Tim Keller wrote, Human beings are like threads thrown together on a table. If we keep our money and time and power to ourselves and for ourselves, instead of sending them out into our neighbors' lives, then we are not interwoven socially, relationally, financially, and emotionally. Reweaving shalom means to sacrificially thread, lace, and press your time, goods, power, and resources into the lives of others and the needs of others. So scripture reveals this relational God, a God who called us and created us for healthy interdependent relationships in the world where he's placed us. And I think it's summed up there that the key to doing justice is that it requires sacrifice. It must cost us something. And there are a lot of things that we could do for justice. Scripture doesn't necessarily prescribe you have to do this and then you're just. There are many things that we can do to reflect God's image depending on the gifts and the resources that he's given us. And I thought it's beautiful in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the laws created space for people with different levels of resources to bring different types of offerings to the Lord. And Jesus in, in the story of the widow's offering, he shows that the, the true measure of the sacrifice is in the heart of the person that's making the sacrifice. So the important thing is our heart behind doing what we do. And so as we wrap up this message, time has been standing still. As we wrap this up, I'm not going to provide a list of things to do that will make us just people. But what I want to do is just to encourage each one of us that when we leave here, we should begin questioning and seeking God. We should begin asking him what he wants us, what he wants our family, what he wants our group of friends to do so that we can more fully reflect his image to the world around us as we go throughout 2022. And I, I love to read, and so I did a bit of reading during this holiday. Um, and we stayed at someone's house, and they had the, the story of Albert Lutuli, and 
Let My People Go, the book, which was very profound. And I came across this quote where Albert Lutuli, who's, if you don't know him, a struggle icon in this country, um, and he said, the Christian faith is not a private affair without relevance to society. Rather, it equips us in a unique way to meet the challenges of our society. The Christian faith has to be applied to the conditions of our lives and our work. We have to do something about being a Christian. And that something must identify me. It must identify us with our neighbors and not distance us from them. So as we let that sink in, and as we think about the fact that there are many different things that we might do to live more justly, I just want to encourage us again that these are the conversations that we must be having as a church. And I think indeed we are already. This is one of the things that um, drew us as a family to this church. Not to put you on the spot, Marley, but we knew that you were here and, and Maria and some other people who are doing great things in the community, living out um, God's love among people in their everyday life. And that's just in the NGO space, but how much more in the business space and on campus. And there's just many exciting things happening within this church. And so that's exciting for me and, and also to honor Serve Stellies for the great work that they're doing of connecting us to needs within our community. But I think as we dive into this year, each one of us as individuals needs to do much more of listening to people in places of pain. And we don't have to go far in this community, in our neighborhoods, in our families. We don't have to go far. But justice is something that we have to do with people. It's not something that we can do to people. And so that doing with will require us to build new relationships as we seek to live justly. And I think that part alone, building new relationships, is enough to paralyze a lot of us in fear. And we get stuck there. But let's remember that God in the Old Testament called on his people to be strong and to be courageous. And so I want us to think about our resources. I want us to think about our influence. I want us to think about the social capital, the social power that each one of us might have. And I want us to think about how we can use that for the good of others as we reflect God's image, as we bear the image of a just God in Stellenbosch and beyond this year. So if you employ people, think about who you employ, how you employ them. What could you do to empower your employees, to get to know them as people? If you're a teacher, what can you do to help people, young people, who are floundering at the mercy of a failing education system? If you're a student, how can you begin to think about using the things that you're studying to restore brokenness in the world around you? If you're single... How can you purposefully orient your life this year to be a blessing to other people? And if you have a family, how can we as families turn our eyes to the needs of people around us instead of just being consumed with our own families and our own concerns? And there's no simple answer to any of these questions, but I do want us to ask the questions. And I want us to ask God to guide us in bearing his image as we go throughout this year. And so I think in this brief time, we've seen a glimpse of what God can do. But the question that I want to leave you with today 
is what will you do in 2022? And let's pray as we just dwell on that and ask God what he wants us to do throughout this year. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a just God, a loving and merciful God who never gives up on us. We thank you, Lord, for creating each one of us in your image and for giving us the opportunity to reflect you to the world around us. We know your love because Christ laid down his life for us on the cross. And we know that you want us to share that love with other people in practical ways. So I pray that you would meet each one of us where we are, even in our own brokenness and pain. And I pray that you would stir our hearts with a desire to do justice. I pray that you would show each one of us how we can pursue righteousness and how we can seek the shalom of the community that you've placed us in by using the unique gifts and resources that you have given us. We thank you, Lord. Amen.